Hello and welcome to the Produce Retail Podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Nickel, and today's episode is part of our series on the recently released State of the Produce Manager Report. Now, the survey that informed this report captured insights from more than 200 produce managers on topics including job satisfaction, the training they've had and the training they like, favorite parts of the job, frustrations of the job, and what they know about career opportunities, what they like to know, and other topics as well. Now, something that jumped out to me when I reviewed the survey reports was the correlation between job satisfaction and some level of understanding that there is a career path here. Now, the luxury of the podcast format, of course, is we can really go in depth on some of these takeaways and layer in some expert perspective. So I'm delighted to have as our guest today, Dave Mitchell, president of consulting firm, The Leadership Difference. Dave is an incredibly accomplished keynote speaker, author, and consultant. His areas of expertise include human resources, management, and business. I've actually gotten to see Dave speak twice, and he brings unique insight on how people think, what matters to them, how they interact with others, and how all those dynamics play into business and leadership and team dynamics. So Dave, I'm thrilled to get to talk with you today and apply some of your wisdom on these topics to produce retail. Thank you so much for joining us and welcome to the podcast. My pleasure to be here, Ashley, and happy second anniversary for the podcast, right? Thank you so much. That's correct. We're, uh, gosh, I think we're we're 100 episodes in and change, so it went by quick. <laughs> <laughs> Good for you. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate it. So, Dave, of course, I sent you some of the even preliminary results from, from the survey as I was kind of unpacking some of the things that stood out to me. And one of the most interesting ones originated on, a I thought, a really straightforward question, which is, has anyone from your company talked to you about your career path? And I gave three answer options. Yes, I know what the opportunities are. I know when to expect them. I know how to prepare for them. Then the middle ground was sort of. I know there might be opportunities, but I'm a little fuzzy on the details. Right. And then, you know, our, our least favorite option would be no, no one's had any conversations like that with me. Yeah. And I was, I thought it was kind of interesting. It was almost 33%, 33%, 33%, pretty much split equally across the board. So first, I was curious, you've worked with all kinds of organizations and all kinds of industries. How does that split kind of strike you just based on what you've seen? Yeah, and at the risk of, of uh, appearing that I'm shilling my book, um, <laughs> when I did the research for my most recent book, which was Peak Performance Culture, the five metrics of organizational excellence. One of the things that I examined was this notion of career pathing and, and how intentional was it and how well communicated and how important. Um, so um, my sense here is that this is actually more, this looks more optimistic than it really is. <laughs> Let me explain <laughs> that because first of all, uh, my experience is most organizations do not have an intentional and thoughtful career pathing infrastructure. Um, they, they do have some loosely defined career pathing principles. Uh, they are um, rather inconsistent in the way they promote that. Uh, it often centralizes, if they're a large enough organization, it centralizes from human resources and it's 
you know, it doesn't exist right at the operational point where most of the where produce managers would be working. It, it's more of a hazy fringe benefit that may not get uh, a lot of um, promotion uh, and and um, intellectual um, attention given to it. But so I think the third, third, third thing. So so basically, a third says, "I know, no, I don't think so. I have no idea." Uh, and then the third that says yes, I think a percentage of the third that says yes are are probably your your highly motivated top level performers who have taken it upon themselves to investigate this and chart out a path on their own. So I don't think you can say a third of the produce managers have experienced an intentional career pathing experience provided by their employer. I think it's more likely that a percentage of that third are, are made up of people who, by their nature, have sought that out and found it and constructed it. So the third that's in the middle um, is they're basically, they're good employees that want to get ahead and they've heard and seen there's some reference to there's other opportunities for me. But if, if sort of is really a no <laughs> on this topic. So really what we've got here is two thirds of the population really don't know what the career path is for them. And probably of the third that do, half or more know because they created it, they constructed it, they pushed that effort to, to identify it, not because the organization did. So, so I would say, you know, what on the surface seems like pretty meh results are actually far worse than that. The, the, it really indicates that we've got a long way to go to uh, reassure people in leadership, produce leadership, that there's a path forward for you. Um, so I, I would be actually more alarmed by those results. I'm not uh, alarmed, but let me tell you, it's it's not industry specific. So I don't want to pile on to produce here. Uh, I found this in all types of industries. The, the career pathing is given tremendous lip service, but very little real meaningful infrastructure uh, to affect the people um, and, and make it something that is a recruiting tool, is a retention tool, a professional development tool. Mm -hmm. Well, and and I'm kind of skipping ahead on my list of questions, but you said something that that piqued my interest when you mentioned that a lot of times this tends to be centralized with sort of HR is where this is emanating from. What what are the the people and and the the you know guideposts that maybe that misses on the way to where people are actually working every day in this case in the stores yeah well the the person best positioned to discuss career planning with any employee is the direct manager of that employee so produce managers should be having these conversations with the people that they lead and the people that lead the produce managers should be having this conversation with them this shouldn't be something that you make an appointment with HR or do that for a couple of reasons. First of all, you know, I'm, I'm a former HR person. You know, I, 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 I can tell you we, we are generalists, which means we have to know how to recruit, retain, uh, create benefit packages. What's the compensation level? What's, what's the employment law like? How do we hire? How do we fire? How do we discipline? How do we interview? So career pathing, we're, we're not experts on this. So if, if we put this together, it's only because we feel like we have to, our competitors have it. It's something that we can use as a competitive advantage to attract and retain employees. 
but I don't know produce. I don't know what gets a produce manager from this point to the next point. I don't know what that next point is necessarily all the time. I have a vague idea of it, but the people that really understand it are the operations people or the people that are that say, you know, from this point, you could go several directions based on your experience here. So these these are conversations that need to be having with the leader of the employee, the mm-hmm. direct leader. Well, and it sounds like really people from all levels should probably be involved. And if an organization really wants to have a comprehensive career path structure, they need feedback from all those people. And they really kind of need those folks even like filling out specific paths from specific roles. Exactly. Exactly. I I don't think, and and it's a very robust process. I think we, I think the name career pathing maybe is is part of the problem here because it makes it, you know, a path seems like a nice defined, you know, way to get from point A to point B and then on to point C and then on to point D, like you're, you know, I'm on a hike. And really career path, I mean, I'm sure all of your listeners uh, and viewers, their own personal career does not look like an intentional point A to point B to point C. You know, I was going to be a professional baseball player. Um, And uh, unfortunately, after my sophomore year of college, they discovered a large lack of talent and that ended my career. Um, So then I was going to be a broadcaster and then I went into customer service. So, I mean, my evolution into organizational development was a series of serendipity and happy accidents. And does that pay me more? (laughs) was the only decision I made. So I think think career pathing is maybe just kind of a misnomer. I think it's career consideration or intentional career planning or just being able to sit down with someone and say, look, where do you want to go from here? What do you like about your current job? What would you like for that to still be part of your job in your next job? But maybe there's things you don't really enjoy as much. So as you move through the organization, we get a better sense of where your core competencies lie and your core, um, you, you know, specific expectations and ideologies. How can we get better in line with that? So, um, and again, those are only convers- uh, human resources can't have those conversations with the breadth of the population. They can only help create the infrastructure where it exists. These conversations have to happen, you know, at, at the store level. Um, and they're not, I mean, 15 minutes of time, once every month, just sit down and say, hey, Fran, how you doing? What you're frustrated about? What are you thinking? What, where do you want to go eventually? What looks interesting to you? And, you know, it's just, it, it, anyway, I think, you know, I'm, I'm very concerned with leaders who use the no news is good news approach to communication. Right? <laughs> I don't talk to my people unless they seem to be in a, in a bit of a pickle. And then that, then I'll have a conversation with them. We want to, you know, one of my clients, I call it people preventative maintenance, but one of my clients called it anticipatory leadership, which was a far better branding job. <laughs> um, and, and career planning is part of an anticipatory leader's responsibility, right? I don't want to wait until you're frustrated and tired and burned out and then say, okay, well, let's figure out what might be another job for you. I want to have those conversations when you're excited about it, not when you're desperate to leave, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Well, and it seems it's, it totally makes sense. Like you said, that, that those conversations really have to happen between, you know, folks and their direct supervisors how can an organization 
make that a priority and, and try and get adherence to, you know, whatever cadence they think or, you know, however they want that worked in, given that it's it's really on so many individual people throughout the organization. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, you heard me reference people preventative maintenance, yeah. and this this was a, um, a concept that I came upon. Uh, actually, I was waiting to get my oil changed back in like 1993, back before cars told you they needed their oil to be changed, when you had to like track the miles and every four or 5,000 miles you went and got your oil changed. And I, I was sitting there waiting in line, and uh, I realized, wow, you know, with, with a car... We don't wait until it's making a funny noise or smells bad before we get the oil changed. We, we just bring it in, even though it never gave us any indication it needed it. But with people, we wait until they make a funny noise or smell bad before we have conversations with them. So wouldn't it be great if we had this preventative maintenance for people too, which, which was these you know very brief, uh, very um, casually executed but formally tracked conversations so all i literally did now this is back in the 1990s before there was even internet but it was just a spreadsheet right it was just uh you know here's all my employees here's the month of the year i'm going to make sure i talk to each one every month about how things are going what do you like about your job what do you don't like what resources do you need hey have you thought about your next job what would that be what would it look like how can we get you prepared for that so it's a real simple thing. It's just part of your culture, right? It's it's really uh, asking your leaders to show an interest in the people that they lead and, and not just get kind of immersed in the operational responsibilities and push the people part to the side and say, if there's a problem, I'm sure I'll hear about it. That's not true. People don't share problems with the, with the leader because they assume the leader is already aware they exist which is also not true. Yeah. So unless that leader's out talking to these people frequently in a manner that makes people comfortable and allows them to be transparent and forthright, the leader is, is going to be unaware of frustrations. So career pathing is, and as I write about it in the book, this was before we had what I consider now a global crisis for employees, um, we are really struggling across a wide variety of industries to find good new hires for our organizations. So that means two things. One, I have to offer a culture to the potential employee that is better than my competitors offer. Otherwise, I can't get the best new employees to join my organization. And secondly, I got to hold on to every single person I have. Um, and so this anticipatory leadership style, this people preventative maintenance, is a, it really addresses that second issue. It's I want to make sure I don't lose you. Or if there's any frustrations, I nip them in the bud quickly. So career pathing becomes part of those conversations. Um, and that's a cultural it's a cultural tool or element whereby we expect our leaders to talk to their people. <laughs> well, that sounds <laughs> funny, but in so many organizations, actually, that I worked with or used in research, that really wasn't, it, they did not proactively have conversations with employees. They waited for employees to smell, smell funny and make a funny noise, right? 
Well, and and that's something I actually on a on a totally different project that I've been working on. We've been talking about, you know, what what are people being judged on? What are bonuses tied to? You know, what what are going to be the the external drivers for them individually? And then are those tied to the goals of the company overall and, and what you need as, as an organization overall? It doesn't seem like career pathing probably shows up in in a lot of those metrics for a lot of places. How 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 can those get more connected? Yeah, I, I'm going to take the first half of your uh, question first. There, what, what you're describing is what I call vertical alignment. So, the 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 fundamental um, skeletal uh, uh, component of any organization is two things: horizontal alignment and vertical alignment. So horizontal alignment is this ideology that we have as a company that separates us from our competitors. It's our special sauce. It's what we think makes us better. Why would someone come here and buy their produce versus go somewhere else in town and buy the produce, right? So for instance, you know, um, there's a, a farmer's market type of, uh, like a, a farm that is open to the public where you can get your fresh produce here. And of course they, you know, food to table or farm to table, you know, they, they market this, you know, direct to you, you know, very often the produce doesn't look better than what I would get at the grocery store. Right. I mean, it's, it's not as uh, the, the quality parameters are not as stringent. It's, it's literally, we picked it and put it on the table, Yeah. but there's this belief that, you know, I'm, this is literally farm to table. I I, I drive in and I park in the dirt and I walk over to <laughs> a bin and I grab my peppers and wow, you know, yesterday they were in the field and today they're on my table. So that's an, that's an ideology, right? That's a distinguishing factor. That could be real or that can be marketing. If it's just marketing, eventually the market will recognize that that's not real. It's not true. It's a fancy slogan, but it's not real. To make it real, you got to have vertical alignment, which means everything in your organization integrates that ideology into it. So the latter part of your conversation is career pathing should align with whatever commitment you make to your employees, what type of employer you want, what's the employee experience here. So if I, if I tell people we're a special organization committed to your success, we not only support you as you pursue a career, we provide resources uh, and avenues for you to do that. So that's a vertical aligning around your ideology. Like we are the employer of choice. We are someone that whatever level of the organization you join, we can provide you with the path up the organization and oh by the way ashley the dirty secret is out the organization too because as you move up there are fewer and fewer opportunities so you have to show your employees that if we can't promote you we at least prepare you for that role somewhere and you know that that's just part of a high performing culture is the recognition that i've got to make you appealing to other companies and if I can't promote you because we got a log jam, that's okay. It's okay for you to leave, but we want you back <laughs> someday <laughs> too, right? We want you to come back even better. But, um, you know, it goes to that old saying about you can train your people and 
have them leave for a better job, or you can not train them and they can remain in their current job incompetent. So which do you want to do? And the answer is, of course, I want to train them. And if they leave me for another job, I will train the next person too. you just Mm -hmm. create that. So that's, I think, where career pathing intersects with the ideologies at the highest level. What kind of employer do you want to be? That makes sense. Well, and I was curious to get your your take on, on something else from the survey results too, Dave. So as I looked at each of those groups, the the yes folks who said, oh, yeah, I know exactly what the opportunities are, you know, ready to go. The, the sort of folks who had kind of an inkling that there were probably other opportunities and then the no folks like, Don't, uh, I've never heard of this thing you're talking about, right? Um, right? I compared how each of those groups answered, you know, these other questions in the surveys, how much they enjoy their job. You know, do they have the resources they need to be successful? Will they recommend their job to a friend? How long do they plan to stay? Some of those different things. And it sort of surprised me that the yes and the sort of groups were pretty aligned in their responses. And then no, all those things kind of fell off a cliff. So I was curious what you would make of the yes and sort of groups being pretty similar in how they answered some of those other questions. Well, I kind of use that as as kind of my basis for my previous answer, which is I think it we you could interpret these results as saying positive things about the employer, but I also think you can interpret these results as reflective of the of the work ethic and the um, the quality of the employee. So a lot of the yeses are yeses because they took that effort. A lot of the sort ofs were sort ofs because they took the effort to understand it. Uh, and so I think that demographic is kind of the same group of people. They're people that are more proactive, higher internal locus of control. I'm going to take accountability for my career. They've done their own research. They've looked around. They've asked questions. Um, as a result, and, and some, of these, some of these employers do have probably you know, fair to good infrastructure for career planning. And so when these employees went out and investigated it, they, they discovered it. Other employers probably don't, but when asked, they can say, oh, well, you know, you could do this or you could do that. So it's, you know, it's a sort of. So I think basically what we're looking at is, you know, 65% of the produce managers are probably high-performing, self-starting, eager to learn and move to the next level. And then the 35% that are no are no because there's no infrastructure for it and I'm not going to go look for it. <laughs> so there may be a little, but it's not so obvious that I hear about it and I'm not really going to go look because I don't mm-hmm. care or I'm not interested in this is the job I want. I don't want the next job. You know, I'm approaching retirement, so I don't really care about career planning. But, you know, mm-hmm. that last 35% has a lot of different types of people in it. Yeah. So, um, so my concern there is you'd probably have to go follow this up with conversations with HR people and and ask them about what they think they have in terms of career planning Mm -hmm. um, and see, see where those numbers are. (laughs) You get 80% of of HR people say we have a career planning, uh, clear, a clear career path uh, infrastructure then I'd be real worried about these results because your people don't know that. Mm-hmm. That's not that's not their experience. Yeah. And if only twenty percent said they do, 
then the good news is, well, amazingly, your produce managers are developing one even in its absence. So mm -hmm. they're finding the back on their own. Uh, that would be an interesting piece of research to see, you know, if if the produce managers are experiencing what the HR professionals are intending or not. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's a fascinating angle. I hadn't thought about that, but you're right. Well, and produce managers do tend to be a pretty industrious bunch. So I, I can see what you're saying there. <laughs> I, think, I think the numbers support that. I think that, that uh, they're they're eager, they're motivated, and they're they're looking around. Mm -hmm. Well, and I'm curious too, what would you say are the most like frequently missed opportunities when it comes to, to career pathing? Yeah, this is, um, and I don't know if you can tell, I tend to be a passionate person in general, but then there's certain topics that really uh, flip my lid. And this is one of them. <laughs> uh, I, I chair the business advisory committee for the Walla Walla Community College here in Walla Walla. And uh, have for four, four or five years. I, I didn't know it was a lifetime appointment when I when I took that. But um, <laughs> the one thing that has frustrated me um, is this rather vague link between um, the edu the educational elements in a community and the employers in the community. And to me, the uh, community college particularly was, is designed to provide education to a community that can be applied within that community immediately, right? But I don't feel like those two entities, and this goes up back to high school, I think even vocational training in high school, at community colleges, four-year colleges, technical institutes, whatever they are, there's not a great outreach between those educational institutions and the local employers. Through the Chamber of Commerce, for example, or through some other vehicle, because um, I'm sure some of your uh, podcast viewers work in organizations that have a great deal of resources and they're big and they have fully developed training departments and, you know, maybe a lot more commitment to this. Many employers don't have any mechanism to prepare people for the next job other mm -hmm. than I'm going to throw you into it and hope you figure it out. Uh, or maybe I'll let you shadow someone for a little while, but I can't, I can't, I, I need you in your job. So I can't let you go pretend to do another job while you learn it. Uh, so there's a lot of just thrusting people into roles that they're completely unprepared for sink or swim. Hope you'll figure it out. The guy that was there before you figured it out. Wouldn't it be great if, if we partnered with the college, in particular in leadership, you know, that's a skill that you can go into a classroom and learn some things. Um, it certainly is not a replacement for real life situations, but at least you have some, you know, philosophical basis for leadership and you understand some of the legal issues related to leadership and um, those types of issues. So I really wish local employers, particularly smaller employers, would reach out to their local educational professionals and vice versa to kind of work hand in glove on preparing people to be successful. I feel like the schools are missing a real opportunity here. It's like they get to age 22 and, all right, you're on your own, bye-bye, take care. Yeah. Uh, instead of being really, and it's funny, every person I know that works in education continuously says it's important that you be a lifelong learner. 
but I'm not seeing the mechanisms to really promote lifelong learning mm-hmm. once people get a degree, right? Yeah. So how do I how do I instill that mentality among my community, among my employers? How do I position myself as I'm the place you can go to to get meaningful lifelong learning, not wilting or knitting or you know. Yeah, those are fun. That's great. I'm not talking about the, you know, the class I take on Saturday because I yes. want to learn conversational France, French because I'm going to go to Paris in two years. Those are great too, but I'm talking about real strategic partnerships where the small uh, grocery store chain can say, hey, I've got some real, you know, high-performing employees that will be moving into leadership, I, I hope, within the next year. In anticipation of that, I want to get them some leadership development. We don't have the resources to do that, but I know there is courses at the local community college or four-year college. How do I create those strategic partnerships? So, I mean, if I was czar of the world, I'd make those relationships stronger. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad you bring that up because leadership is is one that that I asked about in the survey and, and training on managing people because. As you're familiar with, Dave, the job of the produce manager, they've got all these different components. You know, they're looking at the P&L, they're doing customer service, they're they're doing the physical merchandising. They've got all these different, you know, hats that they're wearing. And then, oh, by the way, you're managing people. And a lot of times, if, if you were fantastic as, as a clerk or an assistant produce manager, Maybe you're really excellent on the business side, or maybe you have, they call them great hands in the business where you're fabulous at, at merchandising the wet rack or, you know, set, setting up different seasonal displays or whatever it may be. You may have had no, you know, no training of any kind in leadership or managing people. And you're in a role with manager in the title now with no preparation on that specific element. And I'm amazed at how many people do fantastic with that. But there were quite a few folks, even in the survey, who said, yeah, I'd like to know, you know, strategies on how to manage people. And I, right. it's awesome that you bring up that not all that has to be internal. You can find, like you said, communities, right, or partnerships right within your community, um, people who are experts on those sorts of things. Right. And by the way, as an employee, it always feels good to be invested in. So what a win all the way around, I think, those sorts For of sure. things. For sure. And the people part is the most complicated of all the aspects. I mean, you, a leader can learn all the the tasks, all the, you know, I can, it's not hard to teach them how to read a P&L, how to, you know, merchandise. Yes, there's there's people that have a natural gift for it and other people that will struggle, but these are all things that can be pretty much instilled in someone relatively quickly. Um the whole people thing and understanding people and recognizing that, uh, you know, every individual that you lead is unique and different. And what you works on Bill doesn't work on Dorothy. So we got to figure out why and how do I adjust to them as a leader to coax the highest levels of performance? That's, that's a far more conceptual undertaking takes far longer to figure out and add to that. um, the, The leader's leader, is often using the PL or the merchandising as their priorities. So every conversation we have with my boss is why is this number under last year's number? Why are we not performing well? Why are you, why are we uh, wasting so much produce? Why are we throwing so much away? 
You know, so none of the conversations are about how do we make your people better? It's always about the, how do we make that P&L look better? Um, and until two or three people quit. And then all of a sudden, now the produce manager is not a produce manager. The produce manager works in produce. <laughs> it just, it's a big sucking thing where everybody just drops down a level, right? And, and so now all of a sudden people become important, but now we're in crisis mode. Um, and now the way out of this is I've got to hire two or three or four new people who will be idiots for two months before they get fully trained and up and going. So now I'm looking at at least two months of chaos until I can get back to some semblance. And when this starts to multiply, when you start like, I can't ever get the full staff because the chaos is running people out of here faster than I can get new people trained to handle it. That's now the produce manager is just, I'm just a glorified produce employee that makes a little more an hour uh, and probably has to work longer hours and has anxiety attacks at 3 a.m. every day. <laughs> so that. Yeah, that's the that's the problem when we don't prioritize how to lead people, how to hold on to people, how to and, and by the way, and I know I'm on a bit of a, a, a monologue here, but <laughs> the newer generation, the younger generation is gonna demand these types of things more forcefully than previous generations. Mm -hmm. Their whole life they've had the ability to customize their experience because they've had they've had the internet their whole life. So they can they can go to a page, they can go to the next page, they can have three or four pages open at the same time. They can be, you know, texting a friend while they're watching a video, while they're playing a video game. So the, the concept of, well, welcome to ABC Produce, here's your job. And they'll look at you like, for how long? And you're like, what do you mean for how long? It's your job. It's like, well, what's my next job? It's like, don't worry about your next job, just do this job. All that is insane to them. It's like, what, do one job? For an indeterminate amount of time, uh, no, I ain't doing that, right? So we've got to start showing how this goes. You know, how, what's the pathway? What's the video game here? You know, how's, when, when do I get to beat a boss and move to another level? I mean, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's that kind of thing. So anyway, I feel like I've really ruined someone's day. Um, all of this is can be fixed very simply <laughs> with a commitment to career pathing and really helping individual people understand you're valued as a human being and we customize this experience for you going forward. There's still a few people around that say, I don't want to go anywhere. I like this. This is fine. I'm good here. And thank God. Thank yeah. God. Because that be that's those are the people that's like, I know I've got Fran and Bob and Bill, they're, yeah. they're, they've been here for 10 years. They don't want to do anything else. That, that's what they want to do. But it's the other two or three people that that's going to be a revolving door. And I've got to make sure they know where that door is and, and how soon they can go through it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, in as I mentioned in, in sort of our, our introduction, Dave, you developed just amazing insight, I think, around what matters to people, what they need, what drives them, what makes them feel secure. And as I've heard you say, like I alluded to at the top, I've heard you speak a couple of times, those those aren't the same for, for every person. And so no. I was I wanted to see if you would mind giving us a rundown of sort of your framework on communication styles, which I still remember, warriors, romantics, <laughs> experts, and masterminds. Yes, and I was impressed. 
<laughs> well, I seriously, I, I refer to that, that there are only a couple of speakers I can remember. I've seen a whole lot of presentations in my travels over the years. And there, there are two people who I remember, yourself and a lady named Kendra Hall, who talks about storytelling. And I follow you guys and I go back to your content again and again because <laughs> it's great stuff. But all that to say, I'm I'm thinking that career pathing probably meets those different needs in a different way for each of those different styles. So I'd love to hear you kind of describe that. Well, yeah. So what you're referring to is uh, language that I call interactive style. It's kind of the, the cognitive orientation that an individual has. And to make it easy, I lump them into four kind of iconic styles. So um, and each of those styles has what I call an intrinsic need, which is kind of what inspires them to work at their highest level, which I think is 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 career pathing adjacent. I, mean, I think that's an important thing to know. So your question to me is, what's their intrinsic need and what is it that will inspire them to pursue the, the next step in this organization so that we retain that talent and move it uh, along its career journey. So romantics are emotionally sensitive people. They are diplomatic, tactful, very into feelings. They thrive in situations where they feel appreciated. They're often very self-sacrificing. They often do things um, that other people aren't willing to do. So they're good team members that way. In exchange for that, they wanna be appreciated. And if they feel appreciated, then they tend to work at their highest level. So for them, uh, the career pathing conversation is, to me, evidence that they're appreciated. I, we appreciate you. We want to keep you here. We want you to, to know that. And we want to start exploring what do you expect? What, what, what Have you thought about your career? What would come next here? There's no rush. This can be done certainly within whatever timeline you're interested in. But we want you to know that we appreciate what you do and wanna make sure that you feel like you can have a career here and not have to look outside of this organization to get to whatever career goals you have. Warriors, much more direct, very logical, very results oriented, very, very productive. Uh, very, very often some of the highest performers just because they're competitive by nature, um, but they're also very no nonsense. So they value their independence, right? You like my work? Yeah, then leave me alone. So they're very, they, they, they actually kind of resist management only because it's it, it interferes with their own productivity. They just tell me what you need done and just let me go do it. Don't make me come to a meeting. Don't make me go, you know, talk to people or do stupid policies and procedures. Just give me something to do and let me do it. So I think for them, it, it's straight talk, right? It's like, hey, you get stuff done. We like that. You get stuff done without a lot of management or supervision. We like that. We think that there is a way forward for you in the organization. And we want to talk about how you could be given more responsibility, more independence, more influence to get stuff done around here. So that really resonates with them. Experts are very detailed, thorough, structured, consistent, reliable. You know, there's a way to do it. I do it that way every day. They don't like risk. Uh, they can appear to be kind of change resistant, but they're really more mistake resistant. So they see changes as an opportunity to screw stuff up. So they're very suspicious of change. 
So I think for them, their, their intrinsic need is to feel secure, to know what's going to happen to me every day and what I do when that happens. So they really respond well to being trained, to being um, communicated in detail with, to knowing that they can rely on things to be consistent. You know, truck shows up this time. This is who takes care of that truck. Everything is kind of laid out. So for them, the career planning, the more detailed that is and the more thoughtful and, and, and you know, clearly laid out, the better. You know, here's, here's where we see you. Now, I would add this caveat. They're very literal. So if you tell an expert, you know, in six months, you'd be in this job, they're going to be in your office on, you know, six months in a day and say, how come I'm not in that job? So, you know, you've got to walk that line between giving them this nice infrastructure, here's the path, and also reminding them that there's none of these things are for certain, but you know, this is how we kind of see it going if, if everything falls into place. Mm -hmm. Masterminds are our little entrepreneurs. They're little innovators. They always have ideas. They, you know, they're not real good at complying with policies, but they're really good at coming up with some incredible new way of doing things. So uh, the big thing for them is let them dabble, let them experience, they move them around, expose them to lots of different things, you know, make their day different every day. And they love career pathing because they can dream. They can see, you know, they love the forks. They love, oh, I can go this way, this way, this way, this way, right? There's some evidence that, the, that the, our Gen Zers are much more mastermind than any previous generation. So that does, again, put some pressure on our organization to provide options and customized work experiences, which is probably pretty new to the world of produce, is this thinking about how do I make a produce job be different and interesting every day? Uh, but that's kind of what resonates with them. So, so yeah, it's one, and, and that also gets to the point I said earlier, where what works for Dorothy doesn't work with Bill, right? I mean, Bill could be a warrior and Dorothy could be an expert and they have two very different expectations mm -hmm. for what this workplace looks like. Uh, and that's why leadership's hard because leaders have a style too. So how do you, how do you get outside your own natural preferences and lead this diverse group of people that you now are responsible for? So hence why I call my company the leadership difference, Ashley. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> well, I, I remember, and I actually, I remember this from the presentations of, of yours that I saw, and then I saw a clip of it on your website as well, but it's talking about how, you know, 25% of the people that you'll meet, you'll click with instantly, you feel like you're old friends, and there's another 25% that you'll meet, and it'll be like, ooh, if I never talk <laughs> to this person again, I'd be okay with that. Yeah. And then there's the 50% in the middle. Like, yeah, right. I, yeah, I do. I, I really do. I remember... And, yeah. and, and by the I'm, way, customers are this way too, not to open up another can of worms, but you know, as a produce manager, you've had that same response with different customers, I'm sure. Absolutely. Well, and, and that's the thing, right? Is it you will get different, you can say the same thing and get different reactions from different yeah. people. And you don't want your you don't want your folks who are going from, you know, not having had leadership experience going into a leadership position never having been introduced to the fact that that's the case. You don't want them to be surprised when they get a great reaction from Mary and Bill's like, yeah, I don't get that. That that doesn't make yeah, sense to me. Exactly. I don't want to do that. Exactly. You know? Yeah. And, and then the, what happens is we villainize Bill, 
right? We, we, yeah. we think Bill's a problem and mm-hmm. it probably isn't Bill. I mean, it can't, there, obviously there are some employees that are not, are not going to work out, mm-hmm. but that percentage is really low. Far more often, it's a situation. I mean, if, if it was always the employee's fault, we would have identified that employee group by now <laughs> and, and no one would be hiring them. It's, it's contextual. Same with leadership. I've, I've seen leaders thrive in one situation and absolutely nosedive in another. Um, so you have to learn to be able to adjust to the person that you're leading, understand how they think. Uh, and that that whether that's just the daily direction to try to get everything done, or whether that's the bigger, broader conceptual issues like how do I create a career path for this person? Well, and and to to sort of wrap us up, because I know I'm going past the time that I had for you here, Dave. But okay. I I know that, you know, especially in a business business like grocery retail where the margins are thin, time is tight, there's never enough time to get done all the different things that you need to get done. You know, the customers are, are waiting on these specific things. So these are the priorities and it, it is, and it has to be, I understand it's got to be operations driven, but operations gets so much harder when, when you don't have your people, you know, prepared yeah. in, in an ideal manner. So, so that's why I'm glad we're talking about this because I'm a big believer in you know, t- taking the time and taking the money, whatever that looks like to try and set people up for success, because I do think it feeds into all those things that that feed the cash registers and ultimately, you know, drive the, the bottom line. It absolutely does. The, the, the problem is it's not as immediately obvious, but the damage is far greater. So by the time we recognize, oh, it's a people issue. I mean, it's not to be engaged in hyperbole here, but it's now a terminal cancer. It, you know, if we would have addressed this when it was not a big deal, it wouldn't have been a big deal. But now it's it's going to cripple you potentially. Mm-hmm. So most of the other problems aren't like that, right? They're they're like it popped up today. I dealt with it today, and it's gone. The the people thing is it's it, it's more sinister. It works below the, the the sea level a little bit, and then all of a sudden one day we realize, oh crap. I got a people problem. And so the good leaders recognize that they're anticipatory. They engage in this preventative maintenance. They're always talking to their people before any element of this cancer starts to erupt. Well, and I'm glad you made that analogy because I do think that's something to, you know, caution people to think about kind of as they embark on, hopefully they'll embark on, on this sort of journey is, Similar to, you know, if someone's gained a lot of weight, well, that didn't come on overnight. So it's not going right. to come off overnight. So, right. you know, anticipating, like you said, it, taking time for, you know, just putting in these little efforts every day and knowing that they will pay off, but it's not going to be in a week. It's not going to be in a month. It, it's no. going to be a longer term endeavor. And that's okay. Yeah. It's not going to get less of a long term endeavor if you wait <laughs> to start. Right. Yeah. The alternative <laughs> isn't going to be better. I'll guarantee no. you. No. (laughs) Oh, shoot. Well, Dave, this has been such a great conversation with you. Anything that I should be asking on this topic that I'm not or anything else you'd want to add before we wrap up? No, I think I think you're dead on. I think it's a great conversation to have with the the produce industry is uh, how do we make this industry attractive to someone who we would like for them to stay in it for 20, 30, 40 years? 
So in order to do that, you have to map out what is the career path? What does it look like? What kind of resources will be necessary to prepare them for each of the next steps in their life? And don't forget that one comment, you know, reach out to your local uh, community college or what other educational resources you might have, even high schools, and try to create a, a strong link between the preparation they're providing and the preparation you need provided. That's a perfect note to end on. Dave, thank you again for joining me today. I'll thank our listeners as well. I've been saying this at the end of the podcast each week. If you're learning from or otherwise enjoying the show, please do go rate and review. That helps me keep it rolling. Keep bringing back folks like Dave who have such awesome knowledge to share. And one more note, I have had a number of folks reach out to me with interest in viewing the full report. I did design it as a resource for retailers, so I've made it complimentary for folks on that side of the business. For suppliers who would like a copy, there is a nominal investment. Obviously, the better you understand your customer and their challenges, the better partner you can be. So there is value to this report for companies on the supply side as well. Please feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. It's Ashley Nickel. Nickel is N-I-C-K-L-E. Or my email is ashley at nickelgrowthstrategies.com. Thank you so much for listening. Aside from interest in the report, please let me know if there are topics that we aren't covering that you think we should be, or if there are some awesome people on the retail side you know who you would love to hear as guests. Send it all my way. I appreciate all your feedback. Thank you one more time, and I'll see you next week on the Produce Retail Podcast.